0: A mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley. and Today, I'm very excited to have another one of my friends from the community we've been connected on. Twitter for many years through Infosec Twitter. Haven't got to meet in person yet, but uh, always he's always helping the community, always mentoring. You know, people you always see the tag of serial entrepreneur, but this guy's like a, a serial mentor. So uh, I'm happy to have Fleetus joining today. Thanks for joining.
2: Thanks for having me, Phil. Yeah, it's been a blast just to to share in the Infosec community. I mean, I always tell people it's a family, and that's why mentoring is so such a passion of mine. Is I would do the same thing for a brother. Or sister, why not do it for the implicit community? Is, there's always someone willing and able to answer your question. You just got to know who to ask and when to ask.
1: Well, that's great what you're doing and, and, and highly respect and, and like what you do for the community. So why don't you share with our audience about yourself and your, your background, kind of how you got started?
2: Sure. Uh, so I've been in the industry since the early 2000s. Uh, started my career doing IDS work as an IDS handler during my undergrad days at Appalachian State. Uh, after there, I moved on into the IT sector, doing IT service management, and then web application monitoring before doing electronic document management. At that point, I realized that I'd missed the security piece. So I went back and got my master's in information assurance, took over the IAM side of our electronic document management platform, managing all of our group policies, service accounts, et cetera. Um, and so I filled a niche to get back in. So I started networking with my internal peers, management that I'd known through my time at this utility, and transferred over to a SOC engineer. So I dove head deep into security at that point, um, helping this company at the time build their security operations center. So since then, I've moved on to CrashPlan as their security operations manager slash architect manager. Uh, So that's where I'm at today. I've been playing in this field for a long time, but as like many or several, I started in IT formally, and then moved into a cyber role later in my career. And I think that adds a lot of value and a lot of context to what we do and why we do it from a governance application and operations point of view. Awesome. Thanks for for sharing that. Would you mind describing what a SOC analyst does? Sure. So, so as the engineer, I supported the analyst, but from a SOC analyst point of view, you've got the triage of an alert. Uh, you've got incident management. They're likely going to be using some key tools such as your SEMP, which is your correlation engine, your data visualization. They're going to likely have an incident management tool where they're going to put their notes in. They're going to have visibility into your firewalls, your proxies, your detonation appliances, so in your, your malware sandboxes for email, network, or endpoints. So you have your AV, as everyone knows, your antivirus is also in there that they're responding to. Within your EDRs, your NDRs and your XDR, So your endpoint and texture response, your network texture response, and then the XDR. Depending on it, you're actually gonna get a different answer what an XDR is today, but it's the collaboration between your data lake, your SEM, and then your network visibility that you would get with a NDR. So SOC analysts have the opportunity to be in a tiered environment or tierless environment, depending on where you work. In a tiered, you're likely gonna have your lane. You're probably gonna be the triage analyst first before it's escalated to an IR engineer or an IR response person. And then that's depending on the org, you may get a chance to dabble in some threat hunting. Uh, so your analysts, depending on where you work in a tier or tier list, have the opportunity to dabble in a lot of different technologies over their career. As the SOC engineer, I supported all those tools while getting to play analyst some until we built out the full SOC and then focused mainly on like the security engineering piece of supporting security operations and analysts.
1: I guess I wasn't really aware until recent years of, you know, some of the things that SOC analysts do or people that work in a SOC, but it's, it's an interesting role. I mean, it's definitely one that you can grow into. I mean, you know, a lot of people that may be where they get their foot in, but, you know, you get into some really complex stuff. there, some really cool stuff.
2: Yeah. I always tell people think of the, the first entry or your entry analyst as like your help desk person for cyber. So you have your playbooks, just like a help desk analyst would be. You ask certain questions when you see an alert or when you get a call, same thing that your help desk analyst. So like people transitioning from IT into SOC can generally do that from a help desk point of view, because you've already got the soft skills of managing people, managing a queue, uh, understanding how to look up knowledge-based articles at a help desk. You can do the same thing with your playbooks. How do you look up a playbook? How do you build a playbook? How do you document your findings? All those are stuff that you learn as a help desk analyst. So people... are currently sitting in a help desk and saying, I'd love to get into security, moving from a help desk to a stock role is easier than you think. You just upskill on certain technologies and learning the vernacular of what is an IOC, an indicator of compromise, what is a TTP, your tactic technique and procedure. If you can get the verbiage down, you can take your transferable skills of a help desk analyst and move it into a tier one socket pretty easily.
1: So what what would be a good education path for someone that wanted to move from From the help desk to the sock? Sure. So,
2: because we live in the digital age, um, social media is a great place to start. So, YouTube, uh, YouTube channels are a great place to learn what's going on. Podcasts such as this, ask, learning what people are talking about. I've already mentioned, I think, about a half a dozen buzzwords that you could easily be writing down right now and looking up and researching. Uh, Home labs, um, it's cost effective for the most part now to buy an old PC and convert it into whatever you want to convert into. If you want to put your sim on it, if you want to put a network sensor on it to play with, you can do that. I would say buy a Raspberry Pi, but those have now got pretty astronomical and very hard to find. But you could buy the Pi Days. And then the last part is networking. I mean that's the best education you can get is introducing yourself to someone who can coach you through um how to get your foot in the door because we all know if you apply for a job, you're competing against hundreds of people right now. So knowing someone and getting the indoor contact of them handing your resume off to a hiring manager, them doing an intro, you likely don't have to apply until you've already had an interview. So that's how I got my recent job is I was able to use my network to get in the door. I'd already started meeting with folks and then they came back with, we don't have a record in our HR system. We need to go apply. So I've already like made it a few ways in, which many people in this industry, it's the best way of going before I even put my resume into the HR system, because it can just get kicked out of a formatting over a word. And you don't even know that, and you may be competing against 100 to a 1, thousand different applicants in
1: Yeah. That, that's a very good point because you just don't even know what keywords they're looking for on those systems. And a good example I like to share is when I went to work for US bank, I was referred to some by someone at a lo, local OWASP meeting. They said that there were some openings on their pen test team. I gave them my resume. They handed it to the hiring manager. I had like an interview within a week or so, end up getting a job offer. But at the same time, probably about a week or so before I applied for a job with Bank of America, similar role. I had all the certs that they were looking for, the experience, and it took them a year before they contacted me. And then, as you mentioned, talking to someone, they handed your resume to the hiring manager. I was able to get in right away and get hired. Whereas the other job, it took me a year to even get contacted. And this is, you know, this is not someone just brand new starting out with no certs or just entry-level certs. This is, you know, I had five years of consulting experience in pen testing and then previous AppSec experience and and uh, experiences as a sysadmin. And so I was, you know, it was difficult for me. So you can really imagine how much more of a hurdle it's going to be for someone that has little experience or just
2: trying to break in. So the other thing I didn't mention is you've got boot camps out there. Um, I know you've worked in some community colleges, put them on. Um, To give a small plug, there's a major consulting firm based out in the Dakotas who puts a pay as you want, pay as you go for any SOC training you want. Like you can offer to pay what you want for some of those things. So networking, you can find training for nominal low cost to no cost. And the other thing too with cloud, we didn't even speak about cloud yet. AWS, GCP and Azure offer free certifications or at least free trainings to get into their platform. So that's another way to start your career is go ahead and get your fundamentals and AWS or Google cloud platforms. I said GCP without describing it or Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud. And then we there's a half a dozen more that are out there such as Oracle, IBM, etc. But the, the big three have training modules for you. And then lastly, Udemy, Plural Insights, other minor platforms that you can at least get your training. And for the offensive side, you've got the, the hacking platforms that you can get basic hands on experience that you can talk to during your interview process. I did this module on try I did this module on this platform or ranges. Cyber ranges is another one that's coming out and more popularity is being able to subscribe to a service such as a cyber range, where you can play and do some very similar activities of so building, breaking, hardening, protecting, like capture the flags, which we've talked about in other places. Defend the flag. If you're on the blue team, how do you defend the flag versus capture the flag? So,
1: yeah, it's nice. All these online resources. Now the cyber ranges, try hack me, hack the box and all that, because you remember back when you had to build your own lab trying to find the right vulnerable VMs and taking all the time to build this stuff where nowadays you can just spend all your time focusing on what you need to learn instead of having to build everything out. Although there, you know, there's value in building things, but you can spend too much time on, on that opposed to actually
2: working on the skills that you need. And the last thing I'll say there is know what the tool does. So I'm speaking more to the offensive side before you run an offensive tool, understand what it's doing under the Uh hood, because you don't have permission to run most of these tools in an environment like people forget that, like they're open source, but you still have to have a statement of work or permission to run that scan in the environment, unless you're scanning, as you said, your own hardware. So be very cautious about scanning tools and the other platforms it's built into Remex or some of these other Kali Linux boxes or Parrot before you actually initiate those scans. Make sure you're isolating because you don't want to knock on your door. They're usually going to walk you out that door versus just slapping your wrist.
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story from the college I used to teach at. It was before I joined. One of the students there was using Armitage and he was playing around the network. Didn't he think about it? And he did a Hail Mary and owned like several boxes. And fortunately, the guy that was my supervisor went to his defense and said, hey, you got a free pen test that the bad guys would have got in here you know, this would have been bad. And so fortunately he was able to save them, but a good example of why you need to be careful.
2: <laughs> I mean, when your ISP calls you and say you're scanning the internet, you might have a bad day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so what what are your views on, on certifications and degrees? Do you think this is required to get
2: into security? So it depends. So when I say it depends, what is your longevity? What are you looking to do? So if you're looking to get into contract work, it's going to require certifications or clearances, you're likely going to have to hold some kind of degree or some kind of certification. So that's your DOD certs. Um, but if you're going into a small startup, you're going into a small business, a basic key cert, if you want a cert, it's fine. Um, if you feel like you want to specialize, you've got ISC Squared, you've got SANS, you've got the, the other platforms I've already mentioned, they're good to get your foot in the door. I tell most people, the network's going to get you your job and let your employer trade you and certify you in what they want. Because for those who have been in the industry, every environment you work in is different. So just because I know what networking is, doesn't mean I know your network. Just because I know this blue team tool doesn't mean I know how you use this blue team tool. So on-the-job training is great to get you up to speed. The certification just shows aptitude. I would, that's what we used to be the, the bachelor's degree of old. It just shows you have aptitude. I now think it's probably easier just to get a CompTIA cert, get it on your resume, break your a breakthrough on the help desk as a SOC analyst, as a GRC analyst. I haven't even talked about those. So You can move into a policy role to get your foot into cyber while you're educating on the more technical roles and then switch from a GRC role into a more technical role as well as another way to break in. Because if you're an English teacher, you know how to write. If you're a PR person, you know how to write. You can do an awareness program. You can write a policy, procedure, or standard. Someone just has to help you understand the terms, but you can write it. Um, And then that's another way of breaking in. I mean, you learn the CISSP or some other cert if you need to, to maintain those things. That's another way to break in because you've got people that we know who've cleaned pools for a living and then transferred in. I know people who are a mechanic and now are a SOAR engineer. So, for security, orchestration, automation, response, they were a mechanic. And just understood details. And they're probably one of the strongest SOAR engineers I've ever met in my life. But they they tuned cars for 15, 20 years before they moved into a blue team um, engineering role.
1: Yeah, it's uh, so, some interesting advice there. It's just really interesting, you know, because some people downplay degrees or certifications. And, you know, I think it's it, it's kind of depends on you the person because if you're someone that does good with self-study then certifications or just doing self-study may be great but if you're someone that needs structure then you know sometimes there's a need to to take a college course instead or maybe you don't have the guidance you haven't found a mentor or someone to guide you then you need the guidance then you know college is a good way to do that too
2: yeah like to that point you probably heard me say this and people who followed me for any given time Everyone can be a mentor and a mentee no matter if they've been on the job one day or 20 years because your life experiences is what adds value to that relationship. As I mentioned, the person who cleaned pools can probably give you some insight on how to run a pen test. The person who's a car mechanic can tell you how to tune a system. It's a different type of tuning, but they can at least walk you through their mindset of how they tuned and did diagnostics on a car the same way they're going to tune and run diagnostics on a system. So wait, no matter if you've been in the field... One day or 20 years, you add value because of your upbringing, your previous experiences and other nature of that. So I challenge each and every one listening today, be a mentor and be a mentee.
1: Good advice. Because one of the things too, is if you've only been in it a little while, there's always someone behind you that doesn't know what you, what you know, and, and you could share that with them. I agree. So one of the things we were talking about before we started the show is since you do a lot of mentoring, what are some good advice that you have on, on interviewing? Because that's one of the things I hadn't really discussed in a while on the show, but, you know, people are always looking for good interview advice. And some of the things that you mentioned earlier, I think
2: was pretty awesome. So if you could
1: share some of that.
2: Sure. So for those who've been interviewing or are planning to interview, you've got multiple types of interviews. You've got your strategic interviews or your screening interviews, and then you've got your technical interviews. So be prepared with those canned responses. You're going to get asked about a situational interview. You're going to be asked to explain methods and the STAR methodology, the situation, the task, the action, and the response The STAR methodology for those. And then from a technical interview, be willing to say, I don't know, but, and then explain how you would go about figuring out. Instead of like talking someone through or babbling, just say, I don't know, but this is how I would go about it. And even better, if they don't give you an opportunity to go that far, research the question, write, jot it down. And then when you send your thank you email, answer the question. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone respond to a question they've stumbled on after they've researched it and gave them me a very concise, that's the brief, be bre- be, use brevity when, we use, when you email. I don't want the Reddit post on this or the, the stack overflow explanation, but that also gives you points as well. When you send that email, thanking me for your time, and you answer the question you stumbled on, you're also going to get a little extra awareness because I'm going to remember you because you didn't just say I'd go figure it out. You went and actually figured it out and then told me as the hiring manager what you're doing. And then because we're now virtually interviewing, find a room that's as neutral as possible. If you can't blur your screen and wear uh, neutral colors, you don't want to add unconscious bias to the interview. So for example, I was telling phil earlier like if you have a piece of artwork behind you it may be a beautiful piece of artwork but if i start staring at it and zone off into it because you weren't you didn't use brevity you've lost me but i have something i can stare at um another thing too is watch your hand gestures like hold something in your hand under the table try not to wave try to make sure you make eye contact if you're gonna have multiple screens in front of you Start the interview with like, I have my resume over on this screen. I have you on this screen. I have my notes on this screen. That way I know when you look around that you're looking around strategically and not trying to go find something. You've already disclosed you have notes. You've already disclosed you have your resume open on a different screen. And that way I'm not assuming that you're Googling or you're phoning a friend. You're, you've already told me what you have where. And be transparent. Lastly, well, don't Google during your interview. Uh, Most of us have already done the Google search. We know what the top five hits are. So if you start reading one of the top five hits, you've now just disqualified yourself because instead of being honest with me, you've already started Googling and pretending, oh, I'm having internet issues. I turned off my camera. I'm glitching. Honesty goes a long way in the interview process. So just be transparent. To recap again, be neutral in your video. Be concise with your answers. And try not to wave your hands too much or distractions of items. If you have to take a sip, take a sip of water and put the cup down. Don't keep drinking and don't cover your mouth when you're talking. Other little tips and tricks that you'll learn by doing it. And make sure your head is centered in the screen that I'm not staring down at you or staring up at you because your camera placement is off-centered during these.
1: So is there any kind of prep that you'd recommend for anyone that they're going to do an interview? Should they study up front or something
2: along those lines to prepare? So for Zoom today, you can do a test call and you can test your entire setup. You can see what you look like, how you are. You can have a friend do a mock interview with you, see them questions that you've studied to see how well you can answer, because you've already studied those questions. So like, tell me about a time that you had a conflict with a colleague. How did you handle practice that question? Tell me a little bit about yourself. I didn't answer that question already. You want to sell yourself professionally. I don't need to know that you have five dogs. You're married. You live in Austin. I don't need all that and that. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I want you to tell me about yourself professionally with a little bit of personal sprinkled in just because you don't want to be robotic, but I don't need your life story and that one question. Cause I've had people spend 15 minutes on tell me something about yourself or tell me a little bit about yourself. And the intro now took out the 30 minute call, 15 of it being you describing your life story. I have your resume. Um, I don't need you to reiterate your resume to me. Either. Tell me something that's not on that one pager or two pager that you put in. So the last thing there, there's no such thing as a one page resume anymore. So be careful to keep up the advice you're getting there. That's historical when people were printing resumes. They wanted to one to two page to save it. But if you are fresh out of school, two pages is sufficient. Put your education, your work experience, any philanthropy event, anything you're giving back conferences, two pages is sufficient. The Phil and myself have been in the industry where I can get on a three to four pager just because there's things we have to include just to show our expertise. But don't get stuck on the one pager unless if you can get it to one page, great. But if you can't, two to two to two and a half is fine for a hiring manager to review. And same with an HR. Rep.
1: And so earlier we are discussing networking. So what do you think? What are some good platforms you recommend and organizations for networking?
2: Sure. So a recruiter friend of mine shared this, and I've been sharing it with every person I've mentored. Pick two to three companies that you want to work for and the jobs that you want at those companies. Go to LinkedIn, follow that company, look at their job postings, find someone who just got hired into that role. Connect with that person, introduce yourself, and then leave it alone for a moment. Once that person, if they're actively posting, comment on them, the recruiter or that person that you're following. Periodically, just check in with them, ask them, how you like the role? What is the culture like at that role? You're building a rapport. So then in three to six months, when you are looking for a job or, or a year, excuse me, you've already made a connection at that company and you can just reach out to that person and say, hey, Bob, thank you for all that help in the last three to six months or six to nine months with about your company. I see a role and very interesting. Can you tell me a little bit more about that hiring? Because now you already built before, you can ask about the manager or the culture of that person. So then you know if you should apply. As we alluded earlier, you say, Bob, here's my resume. I'd love if you could socialize it internally and let them know that I'm going to apply. And then most companies' internal recommendations at least get you a phone screen, as long as you're qualified. So you'll at least get on the phone. At that point in time, you've got an opportunity. Hey, I've been talking with Bob in the sock for the last six months. He's been a great help to me. He's a great asset to your organization. I think I can be one too. See how I just like, took networking from like I introduced the company. I studied the company. I have a contact. Term, and now when I'm talking in the interview, I'm referencing an employee in the company. What we got you there is you want to make sure that employee is a reputable employee and hasn't done anything, but you won't know that. So you are taking a chance there. But at that point, you have an internal contact. You're referencing conversations with the internal contact. You're building a rapport with the company already and you haven't even got past the first or second interview. Twitter's another place you can also network. Uh, there's a lot of practitioners who are willing to help you, who are willing to share jobs. Um so that's there's other job boards out there that you can follow. But again, I recommend probably LinkedIn was your easiest way from a professional is to contact, share your resume um after you've played the long game. So what
1: what about volunteering at conferences? Do you see see value in that?
2: I do a lot. So Either put in a proposal to speak, put in a proposal to serve. Your local B-sides is probably your best ones or a local DEF CON chapter, depending on where you're living. Just putting a conference volunteer on your resume gives you a little bit of credibility with me as well. That means you're at least willing to take personal time to go serve or you're willing to at least invest in the local set community in which you live. I and mean, if I see that you're a volunteer away from where you're at, I know you likely put up personal money to travel to serve as well, or at least... Time out of your busy schedule to go serve. If you're in Texas and you served in Orlando, you you had commitment to go from Texas to Orlando, and I appreciate that. So you also at that volunteer, you're going to network. So you have contacts at that networking event, just like you have on LinkedIn. You can stay in contact with any person you meet there, either the conference coordinator or the sponsors, or any individuals you run into just from the networking events that they have after hours. Their birds of a feather tables, the talks to sit through. So yeah, volunteering is another way of giving back, but also networking, because now you have a face with a name and you spent time and built rapport with people that will remember you because of your servitude and your willingness to strike up a conversation at a local conference.
1: Yeah, great, great advice. So we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to share before we end the episode?
2: The only thing I will share with you is just continuing to be a continuous learner. Um, I posted about this recently and I planning to put something together, but think about where you want to be this week. Like, what do you want to complete today? What do you want to complete by end of month, end of year? Um, you don't need to do a three-year, five-year plan, but what are you doing to tackle? How are you trying to build a cybersecurity habit? That's another recent discussion I had with some people. What habit are you forming? Like form a habit and consistent. So is it Putting MFA everywhere, practice starting that. Is it hygiene at home, clean desk policies, follow a security habit. And then be able to talk about that habit when you interview. Because being able to show how you've applied it personally and professionally goes a long way with organizations because I think it's more of an ops part of view because you're just always being aware. But it also is a good thing is just to create cybersecurity habits, to be willing to be a continuous learner by watching a podcast daily. Reading and writing, I didn't mention that at all in this interview. The best way to learn is to teach it. So write it down, blog it, share it with others, share it with a peer, share it with a loved one, share it with a neighbor. Um, If you're brave enough at your local community pool, put a table down, put some materials and just talk to people about, hey, this is what I'm passionate about. This is the job that I want to do. Just strike up a conversation. Next time you're in your Uber, hey, find out what their day job is. So the last time I flew, I found out my Uber driver was a dental hygienist. I was able to apply security practices to brushing your teeth. Find ways to make it applicable to the person and talk about it. Because then your you're practicing your public speaking, you're practicing how to, to be brevity, to get the executive summary out. So when you're ever in the elevator for the elevator pitch, or you in an interview? These are all things that you can do with minimal effort. It's just practice, 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 and continuous habits. I'm going to listen to the podcast, gonna read. I'm gonna blog. We're gonna fill in the money.
1: Great advice. So thanks, thanks for joining. It was an honor to have you on the show.
2: Appreciate it.
1: Thanks everyone. We'll see you on the next episode.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends